Welcome to Chats Under the Rain Tree, where we explore spiritual and metaphysical topics to help us navigate the modern world. Welcome to the second episode of Chats Under the Rain Tree. My name is Eugenia, and I am with my dear friend and teacher, Ia Tahira. And we are going to try to unpack some complicated but important concepts in today's conversation. If you had listened to our first episode, we promised at the very end there that we would touch upon, or rather unpack, the unpleasant side of the human experience, what we would call suffering. And... The social climate has changed dramatically since our last chat. So we're going to try to address some of the current unfoldings and see how we can shed some metaphysical light on what is currently going on in our world. So we're going to begin with a general but relevant question. And we're going to ask, what is suffering? And what is the meaning and purpose of suffering in the human experience? And how does it relate to our growth, our spiritual growth, as individuals and as a collective? So I'm going to pass the torch to Ia Tahira um, and pose the question, what is suffering? Why do we experience it? Well, great question. I'm not sure I have all the answers. But I know that when we look at human suffering, we can go back into our culture and look at historically how suffering has been defined through the lens of religion. And the different religions have different perspectives on what constitutes suffering. And then there are other indigenous ways, uh, metaphysical ways of looking at suffering in terms of where it takes us and how does suffering get calibrated into the world and into our lives. And what I understand is that suffering begins with us, that we all have within us this whole idea of suffering and how we perceive suffering. You know, for one person, suffering may be um, the loss of, of your money the loss of a, of, a, of a salary, of the loss of an income for the household, and yes, true, that is suffering. But underneath that suffering, in terms of how I perceive my suffering, determines how I will get through that suffering, that period of suffering. Is that suffering something that's outside, or is it something within? Is it something that I can redefine for myself and determine how best to go through it. And I think we have examples if we step back into all our individual lives and look at periods of times when we have perceived that there was suffering or perceived that we was not seen and that may have been perceived as suffering. And when we chose to change that lens and step beyond that to look at what, what can I do to alleviate my suffering, Maybe it's putting a seed in the ground and grow my own food. And maybe I had a resistance to getting my fingers in the dirt 
So now I'm forced to put my fingers in the dirt. I'm forced to grow. I'm called to grow, not forced, because we're never forced. I'm called to grow, look at ways that I can sustain myself and my family. So I think at, at a on a larger scale, if we're looking at how does suffering grow us, when I look at the suffering within myself in that way, then I can extend outward and see someone else's suffering and ask the question, or either to offer compassion as opposed to pity for that person. Because I can be in relationship with what that might feel like, the empathetic feeling or that compassion, and not feel pity for that person. Because now I have some way of perceiving suffering from within as opposed to externally looking at how often is that or judging that. I'm looking at some way that I can identify with that person's suffering. So if we were to look at those two words, pity and compassion, and try to understand the difference between those two, how they feel, how they feel in our hearts. And I would venture to say that if we pity somebody, we in essence strip them of their power, we disempower them. Whereas if we offer compassion to somebody, we are offering our energy in an effort to empower them, to give them a hand of strength right. when they might need it. Um, what is a process, if you have such a recommendation, what is a process that could allow us to pinpoint whether we are standing in a place of pity from a viewing reality from a place of pity versus viewing reality from a place of compassion? What does that self-work look like? Feel like. The self-work feels like to me, uh, I, if I might relate back to an experience that I might have had in my time of growing up in, um, in the deep south in Mississippi, I knew when someone came to me and they meant there was a sense of compassion, I knew the difference that it was a difference between compassion and pity. And when somebody, it was like one of those things I really had a real difficult time dealing with. When someone pat me on my head and said, you poor dear, that felt like pity to me. It didn't feel like you was making an offering. It felt like you was, you, I was felt more pressed down as opposed to it being an offering or being seen. I felt less in the world when someone said, you poor dear. But if you can perceive it in a way and come to me and say and make an offering and say, how might I help you? Or how might I be in, in relationship with you? That's what help means to me. If you say, how might I help you in this situation? Would feel like compassion to me as opposed to pity. But if, you, if I was telling you my story uh, how difficult my life was and all you gave me was you poor dear, that feels like, that feels disempowered to me. So there's a lot of complicated and heavy topics that are at the forefront right now. Um, the majority of the world, I would say all of the Western world, 
is reflecting upon uh, the murder of George Floyd and the unfolding events around that. And I'm wondering if there's an internal calibration that is appropriate to execute within yourself before we step out to engage with the external world and the way the situation is unfolding. Like when we're, when we're coming into conversation with, with friends, with family, with loved ones, and we're talking about topics like systemic racism and, um, you know, giving uh, African-American people a voice and things of that nature, what is the work that all of us, regardless of our background, kind of should be doing first and foremost before we step into the public forum? I think that it's a real great opportunity to do self-inventory. Self-inventory looks like my contribution to what's going on with black people in the world. And uh, what was my what was my lens? What was my learning curve? What, what was the condition? What was the messages that I was given? If I'm a young person, what messages have I been given in terms of black people? What have I learned about black people? What do I really know about black people? And what do I know in terms of my relationship to my true relationship with black people? How many black people have I sat with and had conversation, real, real deep conversation that we shared in a way, shared our experiences. And when we left that conversation, we felt connected in a way that we Humanly could not be possible unless we we unpacked something, we shedded some skin, and we came away and we realized our sameness, our relatedness in a in a story that we shared. Go back and look at have you had that conversation? Have you been in a relationship that you could really resonate and go back to it and feel okay with being there? That you feel like that sisterhood. I had a young woman. Uh, she comes out of Maine and she would love to touch my skin love to just touch my skin but and she would sit with me and I was not used to anyone touching my black skin and she would sit with me and she like she would I felt valued I felt seen so all of us want to be seen so in what way have I not allowed myself to see the person in front of me with a different skin tone. Really seeing that person. I'm not talking about seeing beyond their, their, their shade of, their color shade. Beyond their color. Do I really see that person? This woman that I'm talking about, she was so, so she could even pick out the pigmentation in my skin. The color in my skin, that, that's how well this relation that's how good that relationship was i had not ever seen and had that kind of relationship total blonde hat young girl come young woman comes out of uh, maine and i'm an older woman older person in her in, in that relationship because she was a young student coming to the university that i was in i was in my 30s she was yet in her early 20s 
But we developed this close relationship where she was set with me. She sat with me. I learned a lot about that relationship. I learned a lot from her. I felt the kinship between she and I. So the current unfolding of events, as much as it has its surface tumultuousness that makes some people uncomfortable, would it be reasonable to say from a metaphysical perspective that these strong contrasts in opinion, strong contrasts in emotion, um, that they are being presented to us so that we may self-reflect, all of us, there's no, I mean, no, no race, no age, nobody's exempt from self-reflecting. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if that's a reasonable perspective, how can this self-reflection lead to more kinship, more authentic kinship between all people, between uh, white and black, between um, you know white, older, uh, conservative folks with strong old-school opinions and the younger white folk who are trying to bring in a more equal perspective? Like, how do we... How do we, I guess, overcome the initial desire to to fight and move through that respectfully while respecting our internal emotions, but move through that initial desire to fight and argue and into a deeper level conversation? I think it's being able to meet people where they are and listen, listen more deeply. And if one thing that we're being taught is to sit in silence and, and, and listen more deeply, I think one, listening to our own inner thoughts, because if, if from a metaphysical perspective, I, I can uh, accept the fact that my thoughts, whether they internally or whether they express thoughts, that they m- create my reality. That if I prejudge something to, to be a certain way, that if I look at, start laboring people, then say, okay, all black people are this. Like, are we looking at, you know, George Floyd? Oh, he was a criminal. All black people are criminal. These criminals, all black people are criminal. So we look back, and so we lump in everything. We first of all we look at one situation, and we, we assign that to to be all, or they all behave that way. So we began to di- to dissect and to look at the prejudice and maybe the, the, the separation that we have within ourselves. Because if I'm looking outside and I say, I look at you as a white person and I, I judge, I don't want nothing to do with you because you're a white person. I'm basing that on what? The fact that White people enslaved my people, so therefore I don't have anything to do with you. Am I meeting you at that level where you, I'm, I'm sitting with another person, another human being, another live, breathing human being, and that we have something to offer here, and that we can be in relationship, and that we can look at, look at these different ways of being in relationship. We're, we're seeing each other. I hope I'm asking you, answering your question, yes? Yeah, um, 
so how how can we take the mainstream conversation and take it deeper deeper into not just looking at not just identifying the problem and there is a problem there's a boatload of problems but getting to the root of the problem to the root of of systemic racism and of miscommunication between cultural groups and all of those things um i feel my my personal opinion from observing is that there's a lot of surface conversation and I would like to see conversation go deeper and sometimes I don't know how to facilitate that. I don't know that any of us right now know how to facilitate that. Um, one of the things that I know was spontaneously happened is um, there was a, um, a white uh, group of right-wing white and they had a platform in, I believe it was Washington. And they too was demonstrating for white, their, to maintain their white privilege. But this, I was so pleased to see that this uh, chairperson, the person that the organizer was willing to step down off his platform and meet the person, this black person who was from Black Lives Matter. Because a lot of his, a lot of the people in his group, like we don't want you here. And he said, no, we want to hear what he says. So he brought him to the platform and he heard what he said, and he listened intently. And they, they, they took to the side, and they continued their conversation. And every time the group would go off in rallying against the conversation, he would hold up his hand. So they walked away, and at the end he says, I didn't know, and basically, the young man from Black Lives Matter said, we want the same thing that you want. We want to make America great. We want to live in a good, we want to have a good life. We want to make America a place that all of us can live. We're not asking you to see, we're asking to be seen as American, that we have contributed to this nation as well as your ancestors. And that we are just asking to help be a part of making this this country that we live in a greater place for all of us. At the end of this conversation, they held hands, shook hands, and they literally, they didn't quite hug, but they put their arms around each other's shoulder. And the white person from the right wing, he said, could I have a picture, uh, a photo with you, my son, and you? And said, so I believe that we, when we learn to listen to each other, that we can work, we can walk through this. Because what you told me today, I had, I had not heard it before. What we shared today, in this short 10 to 15 minute talk, I had not heard, I had not had that experience. So it's really being able to listen and being able to walk and have a different experience. You know, when we go to a rite of passage and we go off into the wild, we go out to meet the unknown. We go out to meet that thing that is foreign to us that might create some tension. So in this whole situation, there's a tension, but we have to walk toward it and not walk apart from it. We have to walk toward it, embrace it, 
if it's uncomfortable, embrace the uncomfortability within oneself. Explore that uncomfortability. Write about that uncomfortability, but at least be willing to sit with it and to act upon it. And when I can act upon that uncomfortability within myself, guess what? I can act upon it ex extensively. Existentially. So if we were to equate uncomfortability with suffering and say that for a good number of folks, when they refer to suffering, they're referring to an uncomfortable experience. Right, absolutely. And they're fighting that uncomfortable experience. And spiritual traditions worldwide dictate that um, or suggest that we, like you just said, we sit with our uncomfortability, we sit with our suffering, and we try to understand it and take responsibility for it. So one of the things that I feel is uncomfortable for uh, the white collective right now is feelings of guilt. Um, and then I think that that is paralleled to the black community's feelings of grief. And uh, anger. Anger and grief, yes. So just feeling into the collective emotion. We are giving a much needed platform right now for the expression of grief and anger. And are we from your perspective, giving a platform for the expression and moving through of guilt. And if not, how could we do so or do it better? Because on both sides, it seems as though, I mean, just the healing process requires looking deep within, finding the, the quote unquote negative, difficult emotions, sitting with them, understanding with them, accepting them, moving through them, finding power, personal power, mm -hmm. um, by moving through them. Right. And my concern is that we're, we're in this like standstill of swimming in these negative emotions and perhaps the tools to use these negative emotions to empower ourselves and each other, mm -hmm. um, these tools might not be easily available to everybody. So if we were to offer some tools around moving through guilt on one side, mm -hmm. grief and anger on other side in ways that allows everybody to be heard and ultimately understood. What, what does that look like? I know it's not an easy answer. Well, I think that there are two ways to deal with uh, uh, that kind of guilt. That, there's, uh, that, we could come, that we could find a place of, and I'm, I'm really, really, um, I'm really big on ritualizing life. Ritualizing that for ourselves as an individual. And looking at how to grieve, even that, that part of me needs to grieve, even if I'm living in my shame or my guilt, I need to grieve my guilt. So what, am I guilty because I, it was an act of, of something I accepted to be true with that question? How did I come to accept that it was okay to be in relationship that, that way? Was that a part of my programming or did I just not 
ask that question. So people have to be awakened to that part of themselves. Maybe I never even thought about looking at it that way. Maybe I never asked myself that question. So let me ask myself that question. Sit with that question. And I know I said sit with a lot of times because I think we have difficulties still in our mind and still in our heart. This is, we are in a heart place where we can listen from the, the, the essence of our heart right now. This is what we're being called to listen. Not so much rationalizing things, but listen from my heart. What is, what is coming from my heart? What is the feeling in my heart? And we can take time and listen to that. What is that like? Where does it feel like inside of me, as opposed to outside, outside of the, what is the, the voice that I hear? All, everybody has a voice out here. It feels like noise to me. But when we settle down, we can really get in tune with what that feels like for me. And then I'm able to walk back out and have that conversation in relationship to the other, whether that's black, brown, whoever. I, there was a woman who, um, in this whole thing, it was interesting that she really had never thought to have that conversation. And she literally, she talked about it. And she allowed herself to cry. Allow yourself to cry. Allow yourself to weave, you know, to grieve that part of you that was uh, conditioned to believe otherwise. Even I have to go in and grieve those things that I was conditioned to believe about myself, whether in relationship to where I grew up or relationship to people around me. I have to go back to alleviate that, that judgment, that overall general generalizing an event to fit all. So sometimes we have to revisit those places and look at how we can reconcile that. One of the things, most uh, powerful things I saw in, uh, happened in Europe, I forget exactly where. When these young people's, uh, people came to this uh, place in Europe and they offered a grief ceremony, a ceremony to the ancestors that, was, that had, had um, enslaved ancestors, that, 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 that uh, they came together because it was as if we have not recognized that we really came from the enslaved ancestors and we need to give some acknowledgement of where we came from. So a lot of us as African, uh, uh, peoples of African descent, we, a lot of times, we don't have a lot of history of where we come from. We reacted to a story that was told for us. So a lot of it is about like uh, to go out and gather the data, gather the information, go back and go do your research. Look at where you come from. Look at the story, that's, whose story you live in. Are you living a story that you created or was it, are you living a story that was created for you? So in a lot of ways, this, this potent moment in history, that's the phrase I was looking for this whole time, this potent moment in history that we are all living in right now. Um, in so many ways, it is a catalyst for deeper self-awareness, perhaps a catalyst for awakening to a new perspective, a new way of being, a new way of thinking for everybody. Absolutely. I think that we have not yet 
come to uh, accept the fact that we we are in a uh, closing chapter of our history as human beings on this planet. There's a, a chapter closing. So before we can go back, you know when you write a book, you go back and, uh, and you review the chapter, right? Mm -hmm. And you look at uh, proofreading your chapter. So I think we all of us have to go back and review this chapter in order to, what have I learned from this chapter in my own place on this planet as a human being? And all of us have to go there. I think that not only do uh, white people, I think all of us have to go back and look at that chapter and ask ourselves the question, what was the purpose and what have I learned? And am I willing to be, where am I, if, where am I in moving myself forward or moving this moving I help writing the next chapter of life because it is a close we can close this chapter once we all go back and look at it and proofread it for ourselves and determine where we are in this story and then we ask another question now where do I want to be in the, in the writing of a new chapter in my human evolution because this is where you are we are at we are on the edge and so at we, as we own the edge of this new, uh, this new way of being on the planet, we are, we are being called to ask questions of ourselves, not so much of what's out there. Because if each one of us takes to doing this work, the enlightened ones, if we call ourselves the enlightened ones, even if we take to doing this work ourselves, we, in effect, will create a different kind of frequency, a different kind of uh, vibration on the planet. Just for those of us who are willing to sit with this question and do that inner work and to, to go out with and take that on into the world, we will, we will quicken the awakening. It said, it's like someone told me the other day, I was talking to one of my teachers, he said, if just three of us agree, to sit in that in that context and move energy and be willing to show up for that, whether it's through whatever. Like I said, I'm great on rituals and sending meditation. I know that a lot of us are sitting quietly and dissolving those pieces that have us frozen in time and space. If we can melt that from our heart we individually and collectively can move through this. So what we perceive as suffering can be used as a springboard for developing a new perspective by means of sitting with, getting to know, self-reflecting on that suffering and finding deeper meaning, whether it's by accepting the role of your ancestors in something ugly, mm -hmm. or by accepting um, that you were born into a certain situation in this time and place. Mm -hmm. 
um, all of us have that accessible to us, the, the power that comes, the personal power, the personal clarity that comes from being present with those uncomfortable feelings. Absolutely. So then what? <laughs> After, think, oh, go ahead. I think then what? You know, it's like what takes me back. If we can look at the fact that we're really babies right here. We're being born again. We being, I don't mean that in any Christian religious time, but there is a birthing place. There is, birthing is difficult. We're, in, we're coming through the canal now. We're out, and we're very tender and sensitive. And we have to be able to sit with that. How long are we going to sit with that? I mean, some people want to go out right away and do some fixing. All of us, we want to jump out and we want to fix it. And that's, that's pretty much comes out of our Western culture. The Western culture does not know how to sit with things. We, we want to fix it. We want to clean up the mess. We want, to, we want everything cleaned up right away so we can get back to norm. And we have to realize that we're not going to get back to any norm as we know. I mean, we're just not going to go. We cannot go back there. We're not, we, we could. But that would be like shooting your own, shooting yourself in your foot, right? Or either creating more suffering for yourself. Because mm -hmm. we can't go backwards. We can only go forward. We can only right now review our history. We can know from where we come from. We can review that. And once we review that, then we can determine where we want to go. But we have to review our most difficult history especially right here in these United States of America, and be willing to accept that all, that there are, there's all of these, look at the beauty of what we have here in the United States of America. All the collective voices, all the different energetic forces around us that comes from these collective voices, and, in these, this, and all of these people have a kind of indigenous culture and an indigenous connection that they too need to weed back to. Because sometimes I think we behave as if our experience on the planet as human beings began, just began 400 years ago. We've been having this, we have had this dream. We've been in this, uh, what they call it, the uh, dream time. Some of my elders call it, uh, our ancestors would say, it's a dream. You've been in the dream time too long. So now it's time for us to activate the dream and bring it to fruition. So what is the, what, I'm glad you referred to the wisdom of ancient cultures um, because there's, there's a lot of folks reaching back to in the wisdom of indigenous cultures and there's conversation around perceived appropriate and inappropriate ways to do that. Oh, absolutely. Okay. And I'm wondering if you could comment on what is an appropriate way for anybody, whether they're black, Native American, white, Asian, whatever, like what is an appropriate way for young people, especially who are who are devoid of that and are reaching for the ancient knowledge because, you know, in our culture, our grandmothers don't teach us that good stuff anymore. So for those of us who are reaching back 
what is a way to do it that is respectful of the cultures that carry forth that wisdom? I'm glad you asked that question because one, they do carry forth that wisdom and they have intentionally, through all of the atrocities, through all of what we've gone through, there has been that element of culture of the indigenous people to sit, more or less go underground, to hold that peace in place until we was ready to come to it. And so now you see that emerging on a, emerging and, and, and they, are being, they are being seen and they are being heard. So when we enter in, when we go to these, the shaman or the people who are holding that medicine, are holding that container, and we learn from them, I think basically all we're saying is acknowledge this is medicine that comes from the West African people. Uh, this is medicine that comes from the indigenous people and the, and the, and the Telec uh, tribe, uh, the, Hue, the Navajo tribe, because everybody brings a piece of this puzzle. Everybody brings a mother and medicine to the, to, the, um, to the hoop to be recognized, bring it to the circle. So when we can sit there, and I think those of us who are seeking our young people, be able to willing, be willing to, you you know, be willing to sit with your teachers, or be willing to sit with those, those ones who carry the ancient message, and learn from them. We have lots of information. There's nothing lost to us right now. We have internet. We can go on internet. We can Google anything we want. But can we have the actual storytelling? The actual message uh, the actual wisdom that those individuals carry by googling it or do we go sit with them and when we sit with them be able to acknowledge that oh that that came from my elder the elders of whoever i sat with or uh, that came and that's i think that that's what we hear about the native people say so you're borrowing and you don't acknowledge and that's what i found with the new age movement forgive me that we borrow and we don't acknowledge where it come from. We must acknowledge where wisdom come from and what lens, it, what lineage it came through. Acknowledge that it came from the African people. Acknowledge that, that, and acknowledge that it came from indigenous peoples around the world. And all of us get to tell our story. All of us get to be a, a weave, a part of this weaving, and coming back to the center and realize these, that this ancient wisdom has been there waiting for us to return to it. No matter what we create in our, in our modern world, there's always this, un, this ancient wisdom, there's, there's any universal laws that never change. They're constant. So in this time of of the much-needed opening of hearts and minds to other perspectives of other cultures. There is a way to engage respectfully and gain from the wisdom of other traditions Absolutely. by offering gratitude, Absolutely. be it verbal, right. from the heart or right. whatnot. So with regards to acknowledging indigenous wisdom and that indigenous wisdom is 
is surfacing right now to assist us through these complicated times. Um, a lot of indigenous cultures see a purpose, a divine purpose for suffering in the path of knowing the self. And um, you have spoken to me and other teachers I've spoken to um, have talked about this, that in, in coming of age traditions or coming of age rituals um, back in the day, the experience of suffering was part of understanding coming of age or for those training to be uh, priests or priestesses or shamans in their culture experiencing suffering was part of gaining the self-awareness and then gaining that true personal power through self-awareness so if we were to look at this collective suffering right now as some can you know we can say it's a purging and that's true but to a deeper sense, it is a necessary step in the evolution of the collective. Can we unpack that a little bit? Like the role of these, of, of having to face these difficult concepts, these, um, these internal feelings of anger and grief and guilt and blame and, and the resistance to looking at the deeper energies that one may carry from ancestors and whatnot how does what we're going through right now contribute to the greater uh, contribute to moving towards healing for the collective and how can we treat it as such and acknowledge it as such what is raw what we're feeling right now is very raw raw Raw. It's raw energy. It's raw energy moving through, and it has to move through. And it's dark energy, and we have to face the darkness. Before we can see the light, we have to face the darkness. We have to walk through the darkness. A lot of people are, are say that's a shadow step. Whatever, whatever it is, this is our dark period. So we have to walk through this darkness. Individually and collectively, we need to walk through the darkness my own individual darkness, you know, my own hated darkness. So hating, hating something, you know, I use, is like paying attention to our language. You know, I heard somebody say, I hate. Every time we utilize something and say, I hate, what are you saying? Are you, are you really to look at that, that whole idea that I hate? And what does that say to you as a, I hate? What does it feel like to hate something? Do I, am I hating? You know, and all of us have to walk through that hated place because we really don't hate. When we look at the bottom line is, there's a fear underlining because to me, hate is permeated by fear. Yes. And so we have to be able to move towards, I was watching someone just a few minutes ago go towards the dog. You can say, I hate dogs grabbing at me, right? As opposed to moving forward and just easing our way, easing our way into that and responding in a different way and making yourself familiar with that that resisted part. That there's, a, there's a part of us that is receptive, accepting of things, and there's a part of us that, that is resistant to. 
What is my resistance to embrace? Is that is it do I have a fear of loss? And what does that loss feel like? A loss of my place? A loss of my if I'm dealing with white people of my black my white privilege? Or is it if I'm moving to this okay, what would happen if I let go of my own individual victimization, my own suffering? What would happen if I if I began to see Maybe that the victimization or the victim that I feel that somehow I am part of the creation of that. So that's deep. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to phrase my question. How you guys were working so hard. We're working so hard to find the right words for these topics. So bear with us. They're with me. Um, how, how do we transmute energies such as, like disempowering energies, such as feelings of victimization? Like there's a purpose for those feelings, but they're not the end goal. Right. Like there's a purpose to feel that, but then how do we elevate that? Because there's there's people feeling victims on both sides. Absolutely. And so, that energy of victimization isn't empowering and it is not serving for not, the collective to move forward. To move forward. So unpacking my victimization. How do I unpack my, how do I really walk into that? I think, Regina, it feels to me like, Eugenia, mm -hmm. that we're kind of traveling in circles here because it's going to take us back to really going back to that inner, inner perspective of that inner inventory, that inner walking through our own fears and walking through our own sense of limitation. Victimization to me means I'm limited. I cannot go there because... And there was a time, I think there was a time that that was valid. I lived in times that it was valid. That I, I was petrified by going, to go into certain communities. Because I was afraid that it had a, it had a stigma. It had a, uh, ex people had experienced it as a dangerous place to go to. I recall one time I was, I was doing, uh, supposed to go to, uh, rescue a young person that I was uh, working with. When you and were she, doing social work? When I was doing social work and she was in an all-white community. And I had to go to my director who was a white person to get her to write me a letter to go to that place and rescue a young person who was in my charge. A white person. Young white girl in my charge. And when I arrived in the place that was known to be Klansman territory. I walked into the police station, and the person says to me, why are you here? And I said, I came, He's, and then he took, the, the receptionist took my information, and he went back and told somebody that I could hear him. He said, a gal is here to pick up the young white woman that we picked up yesterday. I was petrified to go pick up a white child and transport her back to 
residential cafe, uh, facility that she was in that I was managing at the time. And I gave him my letter from my supervisor to say that I had a right to pick up this white girl. So these are kind of things that, that those some of those things have changed for us, and yet some of those are still locked into our mind that I am unable to have this because. I, I'm unable to go there because there is always violence in the black community. Diffusing and reconfigurating those whole ideas that we have around race relationships and around the other person, our differences, our perception, changing the perception that we have about who's the other person. How much of that is our personal responsibility and how much of that is the responsibility of, say, our society, government, you know, leaders? Well, one of the things, I don't know that the society, I think that we put too much uh, weight on how much society can do. I mean, how much our politicians can do. The people that we put in leadership, I think we put too much emphasis on what they can do. They do not actually change things. The who changes things is the people in, in community, those people that are, who put them in power. That's who changes the, 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 the legal system, the legal system, that's who would change it. It will not be those at the top. The grassroots movements. Hmm? Grassroots movements. The grassroots movement always mm -hmm. changes. It's responsible. And when it can agree, and I think that unconsciously, they have agreed. It's already been agreed. All we got to do is look at what's happening on the planet right now. There's a unprecedented, unstated agreement that something needs to change. That is, that is what we read in protest. That's what we, we are seeing in protest. Everybody is feeling that press. I can't breathe. So now we need to breathe into this situation, a new life, by changing the way that we see it, by standing up for ourselves as a collective and as individuals, allowing our voices to be heard and not being afraid to be heard. So in moving through difficult emotions, we find personal power, we find clarity. clarity. Right. And what, what is the role of that? Like spiritual, certain spiritual communities will go into, into concepts like we create our own reality, you know, we're all in charge of, um, the experience that we have, to what extent, how do we work with that practically in the context of the greater world, in the context of complexities of the greater world, how do we, whether we're white, black, immigrant, Asian, poor, rich, Native American, regardless, of, like what's kind of a, 
an applicable to everybody piece of advice around how to step into our own power as conscious creators and what does it mean to be a conscious creator and how do we find ourselves as conscious creators in this moment of awakening, in this moment of being uh, invited to face our discomfort mm -hmm. and rise above it. Hmm. I think that if I answer that from an individual perspective, what is it that I bring to the table that would help us move forward? And asking that question, what is my purpose right now and my voice, and how do that get activated and played out on the plane, on the playing field right now? Whether that's holding uh, um, sacred ceremonies, whether that's creating classes to clarify, to create more clarity, and teaching. There are many, many ways that we can do that through storytelling, through art, through. There are so many things that will that will that we can bring together those places that we can begin to create a new language, a, a new kind of way of being in relationship. That's our first, is to look at how do we begin to gather these platforms and begin to have dialogue. As some great person said that in these times, the greatest tool that we have right now is dialogue, is it being having the ability to be in conversation around these difficult topics that are coming to the table and educating ourselves. Like a lot of times we use in our spiritual world, I think we use language that is not understood. It's understood sometimes in the spiritual, uh, the, the spiritual community, but it's not a populace. It's not understood by all. We use terms like... Um, awakening and the thought uh, we create our reality and I thought people have to sit with that because we never thought about the fact that we create our own reality sometimes we just act out we don't realize that we create our own reality we tell our children that so and so we as mothers we tell our children that Johnny if you if you change the way that you're asking your brother for that you might get what you need. It is simple as that. I mean, that's a simple way to step back and look at what do we ask for to be understood? What do we need as a clarity? Are we able to ask for that? I don't understand what you mean by my thought create my own reality. What, what are you talking about? So from my understanding, um, our thoughts define our, our thoughts are reflective of our deeper belief systems that are a mishmash of what we have been taught, um, what we've personally come to cho choose to believe through our life experience. So our beliefs lead to our thoughts and shape our perspective. Mm -hmm. And then our baseline perspective shapes how we then define the situations that we run into right. and define our role in the situations. So we might have a belief that causes us to define ourselves as a victim in a situation. 
or we might have a belief that causes us to define somebody else as a perpetrator in right. the situation. Um, and the way I've worked with this is like when I feel you were talking about feeling limited mm -hmm. and that the limitation, the feelings of limitation keep us from feeling empowered to be able to create our own reality. The way I've worked with this is every time I run into a feeling of internal constriction, like I'm, I'm feeling or thinking something that makes me feel small, that makes me feel illegitimate, that makes me feel limited. And rather than reaching for something or somebody external to blame, which is the first reaction, um, I try to look within and see what belief am I carrying that informs my definition of myself as a victim in the situation or of myself as disempowered in the situation. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm speaking in theory from personal perspective and I'm wondering how I can kind of move away from my personal perspective and into a more objective application a more relevant to all application of this and i'm not sure if i'm limiting um access to these concepts even by the way i'm speaking about them because mm -hmm. of my background and i want to open up this conversation around empowering your belief systems and your thought process to then realize yourself as a conscious creator i want to open up that dialogue towards marginalized groups for whom this process is a much heavier process and a much more, there's much more uh, limitation to face, to overcome as hurdles, to then step into that power. And so I guess I have a dual question around it. One is how can I, as um, a white woman with a educated background and a spiritual background, how can I open up the way that I speak about these things to be more inclusive um, you know, how can I use language that, that resonates with others outside of my circle? Mm -hmm. Um, and then how, how can we, you and I, how can we discuss this in a way that doesn't push, push people away? Because I feel like this is such a sensitive topic and kind of like how we were talking in the first podcast around people shut down around the concept of their inner divinity it's just uncomfortable in the same way people shut down around the concept of we create our own reality it's uncomfortable and it's uncomfortable for different groups for different reasons mm -hmm. so how can we support ourselves in finding that power and then hold conversation in a way that supports others especially others who come from a different background in finding that power but respect them through their process of what they have to move through to step into that power. That but I don't know that we can do that without first creating a platform for it to happen. And one of the ways we can invite people to have the conversation, we back to the same thing. We have to be able to invite people in, like and create that platform, invite people to have those conversations. Like basically what we've been doing, asking the question, what is right, what is here right now? And what would you like to be, what would like you want to hear, or what, what is the conversation you would like to have right now? Because I don't know that we can answer that and package that and take it to people without doing our own research, without 
gathering the information and trying to what it is that people are really asking for. Are listening and being able to package that in a way that we take it back in a good way and offer it as a part of the creative process. One of the things that I was looking at is like basically helping people to re to fine tune some of the concepts that we use is actually inviting people to go through their own initiatory journey in defining what this means for them. Especially those who are on the playing field right now. I run into a lot of young young aspiring leaders and who wants to do this work. And what I asked the question just this week, what would be helpful? And the person said, if we create the platform, would you be willing to lead this conversation for us so we can begin to develop ourselves? So one of the things is, are we willing to develop ourselves so we can be uh, available <laughs> to do, uh, being able to do what we need to do on the planet right now? I think it's a process. It's not something that we jump right in. We're not ready to just, I can take a whole bunch of theory, a whole bunch of, bunch of metaphysical theory out there and that nobody hear me, but uh, you might hear me, but is, is uh, the general public, uh, the community ready to hear that? Feeling, it's almost like taking a pulse. Is my community ready to move forward and session that community, creating um, um, platforms, uh, uh, programs that they can tap into? Am I asking your question? Yeah. I think those are, because we don't have the answers. I don't have, a, I can project based on some of my experience or based on some of my, my studies, the possibility, but I don't know that until I make the offering and invite people then to do that work. Are people ready to do, are they ready to uh, answer or to indulge the bigger question, a conversation. Are we prepared to do that? What do you see as the best possible outcome? in terms of growth and the evolution of collective consciousness, like from these, this current situation and the conversations that have been ex inspired by the current situation, what do you feel is the best possible next level, if you will, for all of us? Well, to be honest, I don't know that I can speak that far into the future. I don't know that I'm prepared to speak to the next uh, step in this process, other than what we just talked about is people's ability to sit with themselves and be able to do self-inventory and then come back to the, to the, um, uh, the conversation with a plan. I come back to the table with a plan. I don't know that we're ready to come back with a plan right now. 
I think we have to get through the grieving process. We have to be able to sit in this. And then old people say, muddle it over and go through it and feel it. And again, we don't want to feel. We are very cerebral. Mm -hmm. We love to talk. But we, when it comes to really being in relationship with our own pain and suffering, that is the most difficult thing for us, to be in relationship with our own pain and suffering. And I, I think that for, I would love to see groups of people coming together to hold sacred space or hold space for each other while we walk through this. Building community, building a collective voice, really gathering that information and bringing ourselves into that space of collective and wanting to, wanting to move to a, being clear about moving to a, a better place in ourselves and a better place in the world. Because if I can move a better place in myself, I can move to a better place in the world. If I can be more in harmony with myself, in, in, hum, in relationship with self, in relationship, I can be in relationship with the external. I can't be in relationship with someone if I'm still holding grievances and separation within myself. Or then separation towards someone else. Uh, blaming, the blame game only separates us further. The blaming and, 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 and we hear it, it's necessary that we have to go through it. We have to have the anguish. We have to have it all. But we have to get to the other side of it. And in that place, we have to allow for that to be. I think the protest, what we see going on, it is a necessary process. It's a necessary process. And we can go back in the history of that country or go back in, in the history of our own human evolution and found that protest where it brings us to. You know, the walls of, in, um, was it Berlin, the wall, the Berlin Wall, mm -hmm. the people didn't just sit, they was doing process while the people was in, in relationship, they was creating relationship. So eventually what happened? The walls come down. And we're not just talking about like relationship, like romantic relationship or partnership. We're talking about relationship between individuals of all, all no, sorts all of relationships. Right. Right. Learning, learning who my, learning who the other is. Can I meet you at the edge of this, whatever is going on? Can I be there with you? Can I meet, can we meet somewhere leading to the center of what it is we need to do right now? And how do we do that? And again, I think it comes to that self-healing, that collective healing, that collective purging, and sitting with this and not jumping forward. Because I'm not sure that we, any of us right now, can offer a concrete solution if we're looking for concrete. How can those of us in the white community best support individuals in the black community um, in a way that is ultimately empowering? I think we're doing it. I really think that we're doing it in the, um, 
and the amount of protests and also the there's um, um, ceremonial work that's going on. Uh, memorial services are going on around the world. These are ways that people are coming together. And everyone, every place that I've seen memorial services going on has been a combination of, of, of more, it's been black and white people coming together to, to do this grieving, this going through this anguish. I mean, it's been a collective of all, the people coming together. One way or the other, they were coming together to grieve and to purge at this time. And I think that that's where we are at that edge. And so it will take us time to come through here in order to come out and begin to sit at the table and say, now, where do we move from here? And have clear answers in terms of how we're going to be in relationship. Some of us are doing it. Some of us are already creating those platforms and just inviting that conversation, beginning those conversations. And I know it's difficult in the time that we're in, in terms of wearing our masks and being able to be needing to use different kinds of platforms, looking at utilizing those platforms and inviting people to have these conversations. We can do that right now. Open it up, just invite it, and being able to listen. Being able to listen, and I think that that's our, our, that is critical for us, being able to be to listen and to be and to be able to, I want to be heard. Are you listening? Can we shut down enough to be heard and, and listen to the other person? I think that that's what people want, is to be heard. So if we were to define the current unfolding of events from a spiritual or metaphysical perspective and ask why is this happening now? What does it mean? And we can offer an idea such as, you know, this is an opportunity for self-reflection and therefore an opportunity for a big shift, a big, hopefully positive collective shift. Um, can you comment a bit deeper on that? I think that all of that's good, that it is an opportunity for a uh, collective shift. It's an opportunity for reacquainting ourselves with our own personal humanity, if we will, in terms of it's, it's reacquainting ourselves with our purpose for being on planet Earth in the first place. Because mm -hmm. I think that, that this, for me, on, on a metaphysical and a, and a spiritual uh, or non-otherworldly kind of view is really is, I, I could say, we sign up for this as human beings. We sign up for this time to be on the planet, to lead ourselves into the new frontier, if I want to use that word. Mm -hmm. So what does that new frontier look like? We have some ideas about what that new frontier looks like. But I think this is a time that we really get to really define and look look at what did that what do vision what do I want that to be like? What do we get to create our earth and our planet the way we want to live on it? Does that make sense? We get to create it now. With all everything is like up. So this is an opportunity for us to really create 
what it is we want our new earth to look like. And it is a new earth. In the sense of a new earth in terms of our own um, way of seeing, our own way of being. Because we, we live on the earth, but in terms of a collective, we create the way that we want to be here. So this is an opportunity for all of us to really sit down and find to how do we really want to be in relationship? What constitutes that that relationship? How do we how do we how do we come together in agreement to honor each other across the across the line in this relationship? These are all questions and we get to answer them. Mm -hmm. We get to answer them. We individually get to answer them. We know that some people will still feel that we get things changed through voting and through the electoral way. You know, we know that. But is that what we're reaching for? Or are we reaching for something greater? You know, I went so far to say to someone today that it may even require that we recreate a new constitution that will agree to what we want to see our new earth look like. And that's reaching. And that's not, that's not unforeseen because at times we know that we have to go back and look at what we created, even if we're doing what, what was, like we may do a five-year plan. Do we revisit that five-year plan? And I think the same thing is required of us to revisit the, the founding father's thought process of what, what was their vision for, for that period of time. This is a period where we, the collective body of people, get to revision, revision a new perspective, a new way that we want to live on planet Earth. And it's not going to be done tomorrow. It, it will be a process that all of us can come together on different, phase, different places on this planet and begin to have that conversation of what is it that I, why do I want, what kind of Earth do I want to create? Or we want to create collectively and have that discussion. And we hadn't had that discussion. That's one that's waiting for us. On the other side of moving through. On the other side of moving through this dark period. Mm -hmm. Whether that's going to be in, in, in within this year, we don't know whether it's going to be within the next 10 years, but it means that we all will have to sit with that and begin to raise that question and begin to develop that. It's a great opportunity. I, 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 I mean, like, I would not, it's like old people used to say, I would not take anything for being right where I am right now, witnessing this part. Because if someone had told me that I would live to witness this period, this time, I was looking at something I wrote in, in, in 1972. I wrote up something, I looked at my journal today, I wrote this that it would be come back to us to free ourselves, to free our own humanity. That no one would free us. We would have to come back and free ourselves. Total responsibility. Total responsibility. Because what we will learn in this whole period, a lot of our old um, um, concepts and way of seeing the world and foundations that we created will just tumble 
They no longer will stand the test of time. They will no longer stand for us. And uh, in probably what we're going to see the most earth-shaking part will probably that what we call is our religious foundation will even change. Everything will change for us as we move through this place. And the, the younger generation, the millennials, and the ones that come after that will change the views that we have. Because the old generation is really, it's really the old generation will not be here to shape this world. There's a whole new generation. There's a whole new fiber. There's a whole new fire energy on the planet right now. We can hold that sacred space while we move there. We can be like the, the, the grandmothers, the elephant grandmothers who stand at the head of the line and hold the, hold the container or hold the basket while our young and generation moves through this and be able to help usher this into being. Because it will be this new generation that ushers this into being. We will not be that. We can speak it, but the new generation will refine it and define what that looks like for themselves, as we did. What is the role of forgiveness in this? Oh my God, what is the role of forgiveness? Forgiveness, I forgive, I can give to myself. Forgive, I can give to myself. I can, I can give, I can change. Forgiveness to me is not, I can't forgive you, but I can forgive myself for holding certain, certain perspectives in place. Because to me, what I, hold in, what I hold in thought will manifest after itself. Mm -hmm. I'm back to thought. What I hold in thought will manifest after itself. And these are tests. One a person can think something and just pay attention to it. It will manifest after that. You, yes, it will manifest itself. Thoughts manifest after themselves. I think forgiveness to me is like one of the things that I think when we realize that what I'm holding, holding against or holding uh, is really, it is I who need to forgive myself for that, that way of perceiving the world. Because I'm hurting. The other person may not even know that that's hurting me. Mm -hmm. But I can I forgive that perspective that I'm holding. I can, I can love myself enough. I can feel enough to say I can forgive myself for holding that perception. Or having that perceived notion. I didn't know I can really forgive myself. I can't be in gratitude around that. I can feel that, you know. So is forgiveness a tool for Yeah, yeah forgiveness for is clarity there. and for, for empowering yeah, the yeah, self for and empowering, empowering each other. Empowering each other. The um Hoponopono. That yes. is a good place to begin if someone wants to look Really work on forgiveness. That is a good place to start. I found that that is the, that is probably the most clear mm -hmm. example of forgiveness because it worked. I mean, I know you know the story of the person that that created that concept. Yes. Yes. I mean, that is the most powerful one to sit in a room and be able to forgive. And what I understood that he looked at it in terms of himself being in that place and his perceived concept 
or what creates a criminal behavior. And that he would judge that person based on his definition. How can I change that definition? So to define real quickly, um, we're referring to the Ho'oponopono prayer, which comes out of the, uh, it's beyond a prayer, it's more of a metaphysical tool right. as well as a prayer. And it comes from the Hawaiian, Hawaiian tradition. Right. And it's a prayer that goes, thank you, I'm sorry, I love you, please mm -hmm. forgive me. Right. And I practiced that for the last three years in terms of my work, and I practiced it with myself. I think I was practicing it before I even knew it in terms of working through some of my own um, trauma. It's like learning to forgive myself that I realized that if I hold certain concepts in place, if one of the ones, if I hold a concept, say, it's put, I'm holding, not only am I holding you in bondage, I'm holding myself in bondage. Mm -hmm. So if I hate you, I'm really, something inside of me is hating me. So I'm holding you in bondage, and I'm holding myself in bondage. So I can go and look at that in another way and forgive myself for holding that concept or that perception. Because sometimes people don't even perceive that you are holding that perception. They're they going along, oh, I didn't know that. But then if you begin to do the work, you will see the dissolution and you will see an entirely different relationship happening within you and that person that or that thing that you was holding in disdain will somehow dissolve itself. I mean, you like, wow. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever had those wow experiences that, oh, yeah. that experience that you do the inner forgiveness work and all of a sudden you walk out and this person is walking, if it's a person walking towards you, giving you a hug, and you're like, wow. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you had that wow experience. Yeah. And then the prayer helped me to let go of my negative grasp and negative perception on the situation and allow for the possibility of this person who I thought, you know, was just closed mind. And I was judging. I was judging and I was holding them in the box of my judgments. Mm -hmm. And the prayer helped me to unwind the judgments. And I saw a side of this person that I'd never seen before. Mm -hmm. And there was a level of honesty and a level of openness and a level of communication that had never happened before. Mm -hmm. So back to it being a, it's not only a forgiveness prayer, it is a prayer of personal responsibility for mm -hmm. every situation that we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. And the tendency to want to blame or take on the victim role is a... I guess it's a necessary stepping stone right. because it is part of a human experience and it should be honored as such, I believe. But coming into the powerful place of realizing that even in the ugliest situations, it takes two to tango, if you will. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. absolutely. And, yeah. and I think we don't realize sometimes the power that we have in affecting a situation in the physical realm simply by doing the work in the spiritual or metaphysical realm to take on responsibility for our role, right. forgive ourselves, forgive the other party, and then allow for the unfolding of a positive outcome. Right. That's it. That's key. And I think that is key in the situation that we're in. I just, you know, these are, yeah, all of it is relative to where we are the challenge of meeting ourselves 
at the end of that crossroad. We know how to meet, you know, we have to learn how to meet ourselves at the crossroad. And sometimes we don't know how to meet ourselves at the crossroad. But that affects how we meet each other. That has, that affects how we meet each other at the crossroads. And so that may be, you know, people probably will ask the question, what is she talking about the crossroads? So, you know, there's another play on, uh, in terms of this whole uh, bigger picture of looking at what speaks to us, the, the indigenous way of how do we read the signs of our time and how are they speaking to us? How does it join uh, George Floyd's incident speak to us on a metaphysical level? And I think this is where people will have to go in terms of this, how does it speak to us on a, a metaphysical level beyond our reactive responses? How does it speak to us at that other level in terms of it opens the way? Because it, it, it's like it, it defies, it, it is so big and it defies us to answer that question. Because you, this is a ripple, you just watch, this was a ripple that went throughout the whole universe. The whole world went, it went, it was a ripple. We could, and I, and all the things, and all our efforts, and all of what we have been doing in the last, since uh, 1987 is when we took this step forward to move to this place of evolution and moving ourselves forward. I don't know that we could have done, we could not have accelerated the energy more even though in our collective ways we've been sinning in our riches and our prayers. And, but this accelerated us far beyond anything that we could far even perceive. You know, and I think it's a great opportunity for us to step in and ask the bigger questions. And I hear people saying, uh, how did we get to here? Sit with how did we get here? And really listen to how we get here without blame and really listen to the necessity of getting here and what it means to get here. Because it has not dawned on us that we are truly in a new, we have literally turned, completed a chapter in our human evolution on this planet. And that this is an open door for a new chapter to be written. And all of us have collected, we get to tell our story and we get to write this new chapter. Mm -hmm. So, we'll wrap it up, and once again, I want to reference the Ho'oponopono prayer because I think at the end of these deep conversations that we have, it, it would be a good idea to end with a tool, suggesting mm -hmm. a tool, right, right. something that is practical, that folks can take home in work with so since we brought up Ho'oponopono to leave folks with a tool that they can take home um, the Ho'oponopono prayer thank you I love you I'm sorry please forgive me and it's a powerful tool to use for any situation a personal situation a collective situation and also it, I think it's a good a good place to go in terms of dismantling our our racism and dismantling our colonial uh, minds. And we looking at our ancestors who were responsible for creating this, 
this situation that we in, or we could say that, uh, we were responsible. What well, was part of their evolution? It was part of what they perceived that they needed to. I mean, maybe that's being nice a little, but I think it's looking at that was perceived, their perceived way of moving themselves in whatever way. That, okay, I, I was born into that, and it's not necessary that that's who I am. That I came through that door. I was born into that. And I can dismantle that. I can forgive that. I can walk forward from that. I can take the wisdom and the lessons that it has taught me. And walk forward to create a new world. A new vision for my humanity. Or for the collective humanity. Mm. Okay. Well, we'll wrap it up, even though there's so much more to say. <laughs> oh, so much more to say. <laughs> and, and it's nice to know what uh, the community is asking for mm -hmm. as we move through these um, uh, podcasts. Podcast, I think it's good for us to continue to listen to you, our community to you, our audience, and to hear what you need clarity on. And hopefully all of we, collective voices, they can, can come to a place of agreement in terms of where we're going and what we want to see evolve in our lifetime on this planet. Because we all have the power to affect it. We have, right. We all have the power to affect it. Right. Absolutely. Right. So thank you again for being with us under the rain tree. It has gone from daylight to nighttime in the span of this conversation. The stars are out. The birds are singing, as you probably heard. The world keeps on turning, and we keep on growing and learning because that is the purpose of the human experience. There's a whole nother podcast topic. <laughs> but we leave you in gratitude and feedback mm. is appreciated. Your questions are welcome. And we will be with you next time around next week under the rain tree. Thank you to all. Mm. Thank you.